Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we are here for your mid-year assessment. Yes! Yes, this is not <laughs> like your employee review, however. This is way more fun. Yeah, exactly. So as we are recording this, it is exactly the mid-year point. We are in week 26. Uh, you are probably listening to this two weeks after that because that's how we roll in terms of scheduling. But um, we both sort of spontaneously gravitated to a like uh in our own different ways like you know how's the year been going how am i tracking what is it what am i thinking about mm -hmm. what's coming up for the second half of the year and so forth so it seemed like a good thing to talk about yeah i love this time of year mm -hmm. right there's just yeah. something I, I think there's something powerful about a mid-year point because you have some data from the first half of the year so you can look at that and analyze and you can think about what you want to be different um, but you also still have the promise of the rest of the year. You have another half. And as we were talking about before the show, fall is such a, usually a critical time where especially corporate clients are, they're ready to go. Mm -hmm. They're ready to get back from summer vacation. Kids are back in school and they've got, you know, the, the, the 90 day sprint, mm -hmm. um, as our friend Blair ends calls it until yes. the holidays start. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great the sun is shining, make hay. So it usually does pick up quite a bit in that period. Not everybody. I know people who work with accountants where they have a t totally different annual schedule, but most most industries uh, get pretty busy in terms of sales activity in the fall, and then it's dead over the holidays, and then it starts to pick back up in the spring, so early spring or something like that. So let's get our heads on straight, right? Yeah. The other yeah. thing that the... the Especially, I think for both of us, we do this kind of January 1st, beginning of the year thing where we kind of come up with a theme for the year, like what's going to be the focus and what are going to, what's going to be my strategy to move that needle and what are all the tactics that come out of that. And six months in, you can kind of have that uh, come to the light, like, is this working? Is this not working? Do I need to step on the gas uh, or do I need to double down on something? Uh, so cool. So we'll just we can just do that to each other in real time and see what you know. Hopefully, the dear listener will get inspired. Uh, well, I can start if you want. <laughs> so let's so start tell with numbers, me, Jonathan. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's what I'd be curious about because I think we mm -hmm. probably approach this differently. Differently. So, how do you like when you kind of sit down and look back at the year? Like, what are the questions that you ask yourself? What do you think mm -hmm. about at the mid year point now? Yeah. Yeah. So th there are two things I track. The, really, there are only two numbers I track uh, on a regular basis. One is newsletter subscribers, and related to that, the open rate. I want you know I want the open rate to be in the forties. Uh, that's that's important to me. So like the so it's it's the quality engagement of the list, which is I guess reflected in two different numbers, and then revenue, which pretty much aligns directly with profit for me because my costs are extremely stable. Pretty much all my costs are fixed costs. They don't really go up if I sell more units of something, you know. I don't really have a cost of goods sold number. So my so revenue and profits are basically the same. So I just look at revenue and uh and it's unless there's some reason, I want it to be higher than the previous year. So uh so first let's talk about the revenue numbers. So if I look at this year, the mid year mark, I'm like pretty much flat tracking exactly uh, last year, which a lot of times would be like, oh, that's kind of a bummer, except two years ago, I had a revenue-wise, I had, I think, my best year ever, and then the year after that, I purposely cut out, it's like I track all of my different types of products and services uh, as, I have them categorized as easy and hard, so something easy would be like selling a copy of a book, I don't have to do hardly anything unless there's some problem. Um, so that's like easy to sell. And then I have hard stuff, which is really intensive, long-term one-on-one engagements. So, uh, you know, they're fun and everything. I like doing them, but it's it's a lot of, of it's not, hard, hard might sound like pejorative a little bit, but it's just very intense. And I wanted to cut back on that because that year that I did really well, I guess it would have been 2021. Um, I just felt like I was working like 10 hours a week, which was way too much. <laughs> so, so I wanted oh, to you cut poor back baby. On that. Yeah, I just like this is not acceptable. Um and in bigger picture, I'm not going to 
rid the world of hourly billing one person at a time. So from an impact standpoint, it made sense to pull back from the intense one-on-one stuff. And I did that. I knew for sure my income was going to go down about 20%, which it did in, in mm-hmm. 2022, right? And so, but that was expected. So normally I would be like, geez, my revenue's down, but it was for a strategic reason. So I was, I was expecting that this year over last year, it's about the same income. And I was a little bit like, Hmm, that's not my favorite. I wish it was higher than last year. Then when I looked at, I have like a pivot table in my, my uh, budget projections or my revenue projections that splits out the mix of hard stuff versus easy stuff. And if I just look at the easy stuff, that's still rising. It hasn't mm-hmm. risen fast enough to, um, to compensate all the way back to, to two years ago levels, but it's higher than last year. So that's trending up it, it, like a, by a, you know, not a massive percentage, but a decent percentage. So I'm like, okay, that makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the reason I'm flat is because, you know, the harder, more intense one-on-one stuff has stayed low, right? It's like not, not anywhere near what it used to be. Mm-hmm. So I guess the, there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a, of a, of an insight's the wrong word, but if you just look at the gross, just the overall numbers, I would be like, oh no, I need to step on the gas. It, here's, here's the instant reaction that I would have had if I didn't have the split is like, I need to, well, if I just sell one, I'll just take on one private coaching student to make my numbers look good. But strategically speaking, that's a backslide. I'm just, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I'm just kicking the yeah. can down the road. I'm going back yep. to, you know, the way that I was trying to get away from, right? But if I look at the breakdown, it gives me a little bit more, uh, a better feeling like, okay, this is on track. This is, you know, this is, uh, it, it's doing what it's supposed to do. It's probably taking a little longer than I would like. So stepping on the gas for me for the, the second half of the year in a revenue standpoint is going to be, all right, how can I increase the numbers of the kinds of things I want to sell that I can reach way more people with and, and are relative, you know, there's no incremental cost. Like it's like, you know, if you sell an ebook, if you sell one, (laughs) you might as well sell (laughs) 1 million. It's really not that much difference in terms of cost. So, uh, so stepping on the gas for me for the second half of the year is going to be to stick to my guns and do what I can to uh, bring in more of the easy side of the revenue. Well, I want to pro- just stop you there for, for just a second, because I want to make mm-hmm. this point for our audience, because you, you said something really important here that applies in a lot of situations. So you're looking at the numbers, and you could have made the decision about what you do for the next part of the year on the numbers. And there are mm-hmm. people who do that, right? Because we're business owners, and we look at the numbers, and we say, we got to meet our number. Well, sometimes you do, because your number means that you can pay the rent or the mortgage and have food on the table. Right. Other times, it's less about revenue and more about this feeling that, you know, I have to win. I have to be more than last year. Mm-hmm. But to be able to step back and very strategically look and say, okay, what's my real goal here? What's the life that I want? What's the vision that I have for where I want to take my business, my rev- the revolution I'm leading? And making a decision that in the short run, and really since 2021, that's still the short run in the yeah. grand scheme of things. Maybe in the short run, I sacrifice some revenue, but in the long run, I'm going to get what I want and I'm going to make the difference that I want to see with the people I care most about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's having that split allows me to not panic, yeah. right? So I could see that, yeah. like, okay, it's, it's working. If you don't look at the split, it's, it doesn't feel great. Um, admittedly. So it, it's really, I think it's for someone who is making a strategic move that is going to decrease their revenue. It, it's good to have something to check in with to like, <laughs> because the, the, especially if you're cutting it close in terms of, in terms of like lifestyle choice, you know, like, like if this is going to start mm-hmm. to impact your lifestyle, then it really takes discipline to not panic and just default to working hard because working yes. hard is a, usually a pretty quick way to increase your revenue, but not your profit. But, but if you're worried about cash flow, then you know, it's, it's really easy to be like, well, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll work 60 hours a week. I don't want to miss a mortgage payment or whatever, or like not be able to sit, yeah. send the kid to camp. Yeah, that's a different scenario. Right. 
Um, so that, so revenue wise, I, I, I found that really fascinating because like, I could feel my shoulders. I was like, oh man, I wish. And then I look at the thing. I'm like, oh no, 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 this is working. I just forgot that. So if I was going to now looking forward, um, I, I sort of said this already, but looking forward, it's like, all right, let me regroup. And what, what are the things I could do? What are my options that I can do to increase the awareness because my theme for the year is increasing awareness. What what can I do to increase the awareness of uh, you know these sort of beneficial things that people could get from me for a relatively low amount of money? Help more people, make more people aware that it exists, and perhaps they want to buy it. And what have I tried? What it, what has been working? What what did I expect to work a little bit better? And is there something that I can either double down on and stop doing other things that don't seem to be moving the needle? Because it's been six months. You know, you sh I should know whether or not a tactic is working or not working and then change tactics, not strategy, but change tactics right. and say like, oh, you know, I don't know, Google ads or 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 guest blogging or um, or Instagram something or others like there's there's a bunch of tactics that I haven't experimented with or at least not in years and years and years. So there are other things I can do. I haven't actually made that decision yet. I still need to, like, decide what's working, what's not working and what I haven't tried yet to experiment with. But that would be, that's the kind of thing that, that this sort of assessment has revealed to me for, at least on the revenue side of the fence. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about all the things that you said. There, I mean, I think what's interesting is you didn't use the word scorecard. I use that for, mm -hmm. for my stuff, but that's kind of how I, I heard it. You know, you're looking at, mm -hmm. at your subscribers, at your open rate, you look at, um, revenue, um, and now you look at the split of revenue between easy and hard, right? Mm -hmm. So it's I I love the idea. I learned this with the first company I started, where I had you know employees, and I wanted to communicate how the business was doing. Is is coming up with you know no more than five kind of indicators of how we're doing, mm -hmm. and one of the things that I do in there, and I've variously called it fun factor, or I kind of settled on satisfaction factor. It's just mm -hmm. a totally subjective um, rating of how much fun this has been, <laughs> yeah. or how much fun it isn't. And, and fun, it's not just fun, because it's also impact. It's like, mm -hmm. am I having the impact that I want? And am I enjoying the ride, even when it's hard? Right. Right. Because the thing can be hard in the moment, but you're, if you're tied to this bigger picture, you're like, yeah, that was hard, but I'm really glad I did it. It's the qualitative piece of this. So here's how I look at, at assessments. And I haven't done this for myself fully yet. I, I usually do it somewhere around the 4th of July weekend. Um, but I usually am thinking in terms of three things, which is like, what's working? Like, what do I really, what am I doing that appears to be working? Mm -hmm. um, what am I doing that appears not to be working? Right. And what am I not doing that maybe I should be doing? The famous should word. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. Yeah. And those, the, kind of the what am I not doing is a lot of times that's the hardest one. Because mm -hmm. you, can, you, can, you can get a sense for what's not working. As you said, if it's a tactic and it's been six months, it, that's a reasonable amount of time to decide it's, not, it's working or it's not working. But the what should I be doing that I'm not is a really interesting question. And I've been wrestling with that really all year because of Twitter. <laughs> and I used to get lots of work from Twitter. Then I got less work from Twitter, but I was having really good conversations with people in Twitter. And with, you know, in the Muskian era, um, aside from, you know, the, a lot of the other stuff that's happened, one of the things that's happened is these kinds of conversations where we have conversations within a type of community. Like I always think of tax tw Twitter as such a great community. And those conversations are not getting amplified the way they used to. So I was feeling like I was putting the same amount of effort into Twitter, but getting diminishing, diminishing, diminishing returns. And there was a sunk cost for me in Twitter because I have, I don't know, 240, 250,000 followers. So it's like, I don't want to just abandon it. But I've finally started to realize that maybe that is, you know, what has to happen or at least put less reliance on it. So I've spent more time in the last month uh, really uh, thinking about and then actually taking action with LinkedIn 
and really using that and starting to to experiment to see if this indeed can't be a replacement for mm-hmm. what I used to get from Twitter. And so yep. far, so good. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So far, so good. But I'm, I'm very early in this experiment. Very, very, very early. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I said that my theme for the year was that I wanted to get um, closer to the people that I already know. And by that, what I meant was people that are in my extended circle. Uh, they're on my email list. They're in my LinkedIn. And, you know, I'm just sort of peripherally related to them, if you will. And we maybe see a few things from each other, but there's not really any sort of relationship. So I, I really wanted to spend more time doing that. And at the halfway point, I'm still committed to doing that, but I'm also seeing the value in expanding beyond that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it only took me half a year to decide, okay, I get this. But part of this is, for me, it's this message, um, this revolution about being a soloist in the expertise space. And I have a particular interest in the women that are in the soloist expertise space. So starting um, the Slack channel that I did for soloist women, um, I've been very kind of quiet about that, very stealthy, because I wanted to see what it was like. I didn't want it to be inundated with people. And these are people who either I know or who've been in my, in my network for some amount of time. And so experimenting that is really fun. So I don't have any, you know, I don't have any assessment about that yet. It's, I just started it in May, so it's still soon. Um, I, too, look at subscribers. I look at open rate. I look at revenue. Um, my bookkeepers automatically separate the revenue. So I can see uh, I have coaching revenue. I have a very small amount of consulting revenue, which is not um, ongoing anymore. It's just if I decide I want to do a project that's interesting to me. Um, I have book revenue, um, speaking revenue. I think those are the major categories. So I'm always looking at those to see what it tells me. And um, I haven't assign- assigned a, like a, a hard versus easy because... I like all of those revenue streams. I mean, there isn't one that I don't like. And I, I you know, I, I do struggle sometimes with this idea that you can, it's easier to spread your message when you work with a lot of people versus a few. Um, but I love the masterminds and I love the one-to-one because you see that immediacy and they get it. And I know they're changing it and they're going out and they're kicking buttons and taking names. So for me, that has, that is a huge you know, psychic uh, value, right? Mm-hmm. When I see that. So yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of looking at how do I balance that with making sure more people get the message. And, uh, right. you know, the book was an example of it's why I did the book. I don't know how, the, I don't know if this is like a, a, like a terrible segue, but the other big thing that I did related to the numbers uh, is that I just finished uh, migrating, you know, I migrated to ConvertKit from Drip this year. And the, you know, the mailing list is a super, like, it's the core piece of my business, like the, the most mm-hmm. important thing, the last thing that I would, you know, you'd pry it from my cold dead fingers. And I, <laughs> I, so doing like anything dramatic, you know, like switching platforms, I was like, you know, had a fair amount of trepidation. I wanted to do it like sort of slowly in stages so that it wasn't like one giant thing and like, oh, I destroyed my deliverability or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, anyway, it took, it took longer than it probably should have. And, and it created a lot of complications that I didn't expect. So that was a pretty messy process, but now I'm like, uh, I basically have everything in convert kit other than some stragglers that are still working through automations and drips. So that's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah. one of the things that I could do while I, when I had that, once I had that done was run, was, you know, I had noticed that my, my uh, open rates had been going down. So my, my subscriber count was going up, but the open rates were going down. So I just felt like I had a lot of zombie subscribers and, you know, you're paying for them. It's not a big deal, but, uh, but I, I just didn't, I don't know. It feels, it felt like sluggish. It felt sluggish that I would send an mm-hmm. email to whatever. 25, 30,000 people and like only 25% even opened it, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, open numbers are an yeah. estimate, but still. And it's a downer. So, right. So, um, I actually, <laughs> to get myself to do it, I actually hired our friend Jason Resnick to oh, kind of love Jason. Yeah. To, and he's so, 
such an expert at ConvertKit, and I just didn't want to wonder if I was doing something wrong. So I, I hired him to just hold my hand for an hour and walk me through a couple of things. And boy, am I glad I did, because I had a couple of really, really, I knew they were dumb questions. Like they're so tactical and, you know, just like, but like wanting to know exactly what ConvertKit was going to do if I ticked this box or didn't tick this box. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he just knew off the top of his head. So it was so great because I would have got hung up on those little like, I would have been researching, oh, do I click this button or not? And like research it and like talk to the help people and just like, oh, yeah. Oh, and just thinking about that sucks. Yeah, it would have been very stressful. And so he was like, no, this is what's mm-hmm. going to happen. This is how they measure a cold subscriber. So you probably want to, you probably don't want to just use that metric. So do this, do that, the other. It'd be like, you know, and we set up an automation, re engagement automation on the fly and it just dumped, you know, something like just under 12,000 what I defined as cold subscribers, people that hadn't opened an email in a while or clicked or anything. And I just dropped them into this automation and, you know, out the other side came, you know, 48, 49% open rate. Um, but yeah, but most of the, yeah. most of the, most of the 12,000, I mean, I think 62 of them, cause I was just looking at this before the show, 62 of them were like, no, don't, don't prune me. And 11,800 and something didn't click. So I was <laughs> like, all right, that's fine. Yeah. You're out. Yeah. And and so it's, it's similar to the the hard easy thing with the revenue numbers. Like I pretty much cut my list almost in half. So people would be like, "Oh my god, that's that how could you do that? Like what what are you crazy?" But that's mm-hmm. not the quality number is more important to me. So like so I don't freak out over it the same way I don't freak out over revenue numbers being flat year over year because the numbers that I want to climb are climbing and with this this sort of pruning activity on the mailing list it's the same thing like like yeah more subscribers is better but i don't want the quality to go down the quality of the engagement to go down so if you know maybe there's a bunch of bots in that eleven thousand, maybe i mean i know there's some for sure at least a few hundred mm-hmm. maybe more um or a bunch of people who really just don't want to hear from me anymore or that it's my messages are just going to spam or whatever whatever it is um you know and there's some argument to be made that that if my open rates are higher like that, then more will get delivered. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy in either direction, uh, like a virtuous such, you know, like if, yeah. if I send out 30,000 emails and only 20% open them, that's a signal to Gmail and the other inbox providers that these messages aren't that valuable. So I want the numbers well, to be high. Th- those things are all critical, but see what I hear when you say this is the psychic value that it did to you to see your open numbers go up. Because it's, it's kind of like, am I speaking into the wind and nobody mm-hmm. hears me? Or am I speaking to people who are engaging and want to hear the message? And right. psychologically, that just has such huge value. Huge. Right. So, yeah, I think, you know, maybe the moral of that story is, you know, be careful about what numbers you decide matter. Because, right. you know, we've talked about this before, you know, follower numbers are a vanity metric, right? Um, but they also, they're more than a vanity metric if they're working for you, right? If having um, a certain number of email subscribers or Twitter followers or whatever translates into furthering your mission in some way or, you know, increasing your revenue, great. But if not, it's a vanity metric, i.e. Yeah. my Twitter followers. It's, it's all it is now. It's a vanity metric and nothing more. Right. Like my... My Twitter numbers, or you have 20 times more followers than me, but the, my Twitter numbers are just, they're a leading indicator of nothing. Yeah. So, but my mailing list subscribers, especially the open rate, is a really strong leading indicator of revenue. So if I want to be able to mm-hmm. keep showing up every day and being able, or most days, and, and, and <laughs> having an impact, making a difference, and also making enough money so that we can continue living where we live, then I can do that, you know, indefinitely. Right. So, so as long as mm-hmm. that, so any, so the, 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 the difference between those two numbers is pretty important because I, I just Twitter, I mean, you said earlier, like you've gotten business from Twitter. I don't think I've ever landed a single, single customer. I'm sure I have, but I'm unaware. No one's ever been like, you know, filling out my form and saying like, where, you know, the question is, where did you first hear of me? They, they, no one ever says Twitter. Yeah, I had over three hundred thousand dollars of revenue from Twitter at least. I stopped counting at one point, but yeah, yeah. and no, I only was, because they 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 hit me up there. 
And then we had a conversation. So I knew where they found me. But, right. you know, um, slight sidebar. I just finished finally reading Ninja Selling, which I think we've talked about on the show. Mm. And it's... Um, I don't it, recognize that it, one. Oh I, thought, oh, I thought we talked about this. Well, it's actually designed for real estate salespeople. And I hadn't realized that when I picked it up. <laughs> and I said, oh, I, this looks really interesting. Ninja Selling, let me read about it. And a lot of this stuff would not be rocket science to people in our audience because we're used to selling expertise. We're not selling widgets or cars or, you know, we're, yeah, we're about building relationships. Um, but one of the really interesting things that I walked away with from the book is how fascinating it is in real estate sales because they have so many statistics. Like they have so many independent studies that show how many transactions a hundred people in your circle will deliver in a year, um, how many interactions it takes and what kind to make sure that they remember your name and call you when they have a sale. Mm. In most of our lines of work of the people that are listening here, we don't have an industry standard. We don't have a formula that says, oh, let me look at this. And oh, okay, I didn't make my three calls today, so I guess I better make them and then I'll be fine. So what that means is it's our job to find those connections in the business. And, and you don't find them in the first couple of years. You really have to you know, be at this for a while. And then you'll start to see it. Like you see how your subscribers relate to, to your business, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I can see how, or I could see <laughs> before, roughly, it was an indirect line, how, how my Twitter activity would result in revenue, how it would lead to clients. Um, we could look at, uh, at our podcast statistics and see if there's a relationship between the increase in subscribers to the increases in our respective business. So those are the kinds of things that we really want to pay attention to because there isn't just one formula. And we don't want to just measure revenue for all the reasons we've just talked about. Right. You have to think about it strategically, which is to say, what's my objective and what's the strategy that I'm using to reach the objective, which is kind of like saying, what are all the things I'm going to say no to and the very short list of things I'm going to say yes to, and then devote your limited time, money, and other resources to just those things. And then periodically, three, six months in, look back and say, hey, you know, which tactics are working and which ones aren't and which ones haven't I tried yet. Yeah, so it's like exact same list yeah. I have uh, that you have. Well, and I think the other thing that, that you alluded to, if you didn't say it outright, is, is focus. Um, and I, you know, we all have lives outside of our work. And I took on this huge task outside of my work in my community. And it was crazy, <laughs> literally crazy. And I realized, you know, duh. Um, how much focus it was pulling from my business. So when it finally stopped in April, you know, a quarter of the way through the year, and I could breathe again, I could really look back and see what that involvement cost me. Mm -hmm. And I don't just mean revenue, I mean focus. Because for me, it was eating up a big chunk of my time. It was like an unpaid part-time job mm -hmm. to help in the community. So those kinds of things are important as well. And so if you've got other responsibilities, i.e. you're taking care of your kids or you're schlepping them to, to after school things, or you're picking them up after karate or ballet or whatever, look at those things too. Because some of those things, like, I don't know, grocery shopping, you can outsource and you can use some of that time and attention to really focus on your business if you're, you're in a situation where you just need more focused time. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing so you know you, you can buy some time yes so we've, we've mentioned a couple of a couple of tactics but maybe we could do a roundup of things that that we're perhaps both considering for the second half of the year that that is on that list of what should i be doing that i'm not mm. like candidates like not stuff that we're definitely going to do but like things that you might investigate so like you already mentioned that you're experimenting with linkedin yeah, yeah, I'm definitely doing that. That I actually um, that sounds a couple of LinkedIn keeps cropping up on my radar. It, like LinkedIn is the is the one social network I can think of where it doesn't feel like like crack addiction every time I go on it. You know, it's not <laughs> I, I don't doom scroll there. It's like the it's like the the I mean, I suppose something like like I had a guest on Ditching Alley that was all in on Pinterest of all things. 
And, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like Pinterest doesn't gross me out, but it doesn't feel like a social network. Um, but LinkedIn absolutely is. And of, of the ones that you would, all of the big ones, that's the one I can, I can still stomach. I don't go on there hardly ever, but if I was going to experiment with social media, it would be LinkedIn, you know, for the balance of the year, it would be LinkedIn, not, not TikTok, not, not, uh, Instagram, definitely Instagram. not Facebook. And, and Twitter is just like, it's just useless right now. Yeah. Like, you know, 200 people see a, I have 12,000 followers and 200 people see a tweet. Like two, what about the yeah. other 11,800? Yeah. I've just automated the things that I'm in and I check it usually once a day, pretty much never on the weekends. Cause I, I keep thinking maybe it will come back. Um, so I'm kind of like in a holding pattern because it's not a lot of work. It's like writing tweets from and posting a thing. It takes like maybe 10 minutes to yeah. do it and, and set it up. So it's not a big deal. Right. Yeah. Um, well, the other thing with LinkedIn that I think is really interesting for those of us, which is probably everybody listening who have had, you know, multiple jobs or businesses in their career, it's kind of the one place where everybody is, right? You can, like, I've talked to um, people who were my colleagues a gazillion years ago to a client I worked with yesterday, you know, they're all in there. And uh, yeah, so, and the other thing is with my client base, um, if I had to pick one uh, social media place to be, it would be that for for clients. Pretty much, mm, I would say, I'm trying to, I can't think of an exception off the top of my head, but pretty much all of them are getting their primary hits in LinkedIn because they're serving, you know, a corporate client base and corporate people are in there because they want to be ready if they lose their job or they want to know <laughs> who's doing what. I think the other thing, too, that has changed about LinkedIn, um, I don't know if anybody else has experienced this, but in the last year or two, is it's much richer in, in terms of people's comments. Like when I get caught in LinkedIn, it's because somebody's shared some kind of a story and it's a story usually related to their work. And it's interesting, like they're making a point or um, there was just one I read yesterday about somebody who held firm on their price because because they can, um, because they wanted to, and because they had a really strong story in a really important niche. Mm. And so I, you know, I get, I, I can go in there. I can get carried away with those stories because <laughs> they're so interesting. Or when, when Joe Jacoby posts one of his videos, I always love to watch those. Mm. So, um, yeah, yeah. But it's, it is a much more connected and open place. It is much harder for people to be mean on LinkedIn than it is in places like, uh, like Twitter or Facebook. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. But if I go, if I go social, if I ever become, <laughs> if I ever stop being antisocial, <laughs> I mean, LinkedIn is a, is an obvious place for it. Um, so that's cool. So like, is there anything else on your radar that would be like something you haven't experimented with ever or in a long time that might be a good thing to experiment with? Yeah, I think I've experimented with, well, yeah, there actually there is one thing, which is I, I, I will probably develop some kind of a, of a, of a download of, you know, for sale from my website. I don't know what that's going to look like exactly or who the target is, but I really don't have anything like that since I took my digital kit off the site a while back. Um, I have the book, which is on Amazon, but I feel like I'd like something else in there that's between, you know, the book and um, buying an hour of my time. There's <laughs> a lot of, lot of room in there between, you know, uh, 20, 20 bucks and a thousand. And so the other thing that I, I just totally forgot until now that I'm toying with is doing an in-person event in January, and it would be a mastermind, but a, a weekend mastermind, and it would be in person, and it would be here in Palm Springs because who doesn't want to go to Palm Springs in January, <laughs> right? Well, I'll sign me up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm just starting to think about it. I have no idea. I haven't asked anybody if this is something they'd be interested in. So by the way, if you are, drop me a note so I know. Um, but I, yeah, I feel like it's it's time to get in person, and there are some things that you can accomplish with a right group of people in a concentrated setting over a weekend. So mm -hmm. that's what I'm, I'm thinking about that as well. Excellent. Well, I, w I was, as we've been talking, I've been writing down the list of things and LinkedIn and events, in-person events were two of the things on my list. Um, there you go. 
Yes, great minds. So another another thing is I am actually seriously considering ads for the first time ever, which I may or may not have the stomach for, but I like the idea of... of <laughs> Our of mutual ad- friend has convinced you. I can feel it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you can buy traffic. So mm-hmm. it's, so the idea of advertising a lead magnet, instead of, like, trying to play the game on all of these social media platforms and, and the time and energy that that would consume, it's like, why not just do what they want you to do, which is put an ad there and and... It's like, hey, if my if my focus for the year is awareness, that's a good way to do it. So that's pretty interesting and tempting. I pr- almost mm-hmm. surely will experiment with it. Um, and it, it doesn't, you know, I don't feel bad about it at all because uh, I've never done it before. Not because I think ads are evil. I've never done it before because every time I did experiment with it, you, and this is going back years. I just get sucked into the the analytics of it and the interface and the A-B testing and like the copy just, uh, it's just drains my (laughs) energy. So if I take another, at the same time, back then, I I don't even think this was when I was doing coaching. I think it, I can't remember what it would have been for. It would have been very early days and I probably would have been, maybe it was, I think it was before 2016. So I'm not even sure what I was advertising, but, um, but yeah, so I might uh, I might experiment with with paid placement either in Google or on like an Instagram something like that. Um, I mm-hmm. in the past I have sponsored podcasts and I was How did I was that work it worked well. So it was like uh, I always broke even. I didn't do it. I maybe did it two or three times and I broke even and felt good. I liked supporting the people the shows that you know I, I, it was mm-hmm. people I knew they had the right audience. Uh, they had a great reputation. Like it was kind of great actually. Um, so that, but the, the issue with that is like the conversion from, well, I, I was just about to say the conversion from podcast to mailing list, that transition can be pretty tough. People jumping from, mm-hmm. from one to the next, but yeah. at the same time, I probably 90% of the books I buy are from hearing the author on a podcast or hearing about it on a podcast. Yep. So that might be something there. So I, I I like that better than than social media or like like search ads. Um, and another thing is like doing more video. So like native video, maybe a combination of LinkedIn and video by doing videos on LinkedIn. I've I've never done that. Um, but I you know I've got I don't know like ten thousand subscribers on YouTube, and I I publish TBOA and Ditching Hourly and. And and those on YouTube, I've experimented with shorts a little bit, uh, and I don't I don't think the experiments really told me anything because the quality wasn't that great. But so maybe more more video either natively on YouTube, I mean natively on LinkedIn, or more lives on YouTube. And and I could also imagine that sort of a three this this I really would like to do. I probably I almost surely will do this is to do. Like my Ditcherville live sessions, which I do every other week, are really fun and effective, and people seem to get a lot out of them. And if I just did a combination of things where it's a little bit of a complicated setup, which is why I haven't done it yet, but it's possible to set up a live stream that goes to sort of multicast or whatever it's called, that goes out live to LinkedIn and YouTube and other places in real time doing a live Q&A session which i think would be really persuasive really powerful really useful mm-hmm. um falls into a pretty easy zone for me because i'm set up to do it anyway for the most part i'd have to get a little bit more complicated if i was going to stream it to multiple platforms at the same time but but i don't have to do that i could just like click the live button on linkedin and then go over to youtube and click the live button there and people always show up I'll at least get a couple of people to ask questions so it's easy it's fun uh it's i think it's effective for the viewer and hopefully, it, you know, it's the kind of thing that gets shared and people are, uh, increases the awareness, like, which is what I'm trying to do. Yeah, there, there's a show I'm going to be on in July that where the host did exactly that. And I think she's got 150,000 mm. subscribers now. And she goes simultaneously on all the big networks. And there's probably a lot of crossover between them. Yeah. But I thought that was right. pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, that's what I've been, that's one of the, my main thing this year has, like I'm podcasting constantly now. Like it, it feels constant. I probably do, I don't know, three, one, two, three, four, I'm like recording four or five shows a week. 
and and yeah it's uh, super fun i love it and and i don't count that as work so if people are doing the math it's like that does not count as work for me i'm like having a fun (laughs) that's the easy category (laughs) yeah it's like come on i'm hanging out with friends basically and or at least like-minded individuals so now the thing with that is podcasts especially guesting on somebody else's show has a really long tail Mm-hmm. you know when we, when i went on christo's show that had an immediate big tall head or whatever it's called but generally speaking you go on these shows you know they get like you're getting two thousand to five thousand downloads let's say it's not like it's not like fifty thousand downloads so mm-hmm. so you record the episode it can be weeks or months before it goes live and then you know weeks or months before the right person hears the episode but but they do have an incredibly long tail. So it feels like um, it's hard to say whether or not doing this as a, as a, like I have a daily, to, uh, my, my famous daily to-do list. Um, one of the things is podcast outreach. So I'm just like connecting with people who's sh- maybe I've been on their show a couple of years ago or whatever, uh, or maybe never and try and get introductions. And every day I do a little bit of that. And, and before you know it, you know, you get, you know, a bunch of bookings. Uh, but it hasn't, it hasn't clearly moved the needle yet, but it probably shouldn't have, you know, it probably wouldn't have. Right. Right. Because half the shows I've recorded probably aren't even published yet. So it's a much longer game, like doing the, the podcast tour is a much longer game than. Well, there's, there's two pieces that in my experience, because when I'm on shows, I usually get a bunch of book sales immediately. Mm-hmm. And then there's the long tail. Like, I but just, once the episode goes live. No, that's what I'm talking about. When the episode goes yeah. goes live, there's some yeah. book sales. Like I can tell from my <laughs> sales that something happened that day, and it's usually a podcast interview. Um, right. And then then there's the long tail. Like I just mm-hmm. somebody just told me the other day. Oh, um, the reason that I that I'm in your circle is because I heard you on Christo. Well, that was a year yeah. and a half ago. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and but that's another good thing about podcasts, though, is we tend to remember when we heard something. Right. And it and it may take a while till we go and sign up for their emails or buy their books. Sometimes it's in, instantaneous, but they remember like it sinks in the memory in a way that just reading something doesn't seem to. Yep. You notice that? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like there are certain passages or something about the audio format, even if it's like an audible book or something. I can remember where I was mm-hmm. when I listened to a particular passage of a book. Like if I if I think if if I listen to it again, or if someone mentions it to me, I can remember where I was when I heard it. Like, oh, I remember I was yeah. driving a 95 North when, when that insight hit me or whatever. It's funny. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's, it's definitely something different about it. But, and, and yes, when something goes live, you're going to see a spike from that show, however big that might be. But then it turns into, you know, it, it feels like, it feels like I'm building an annuity by doing it, but who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Oh, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. It feels like, yeah, you're putting five cents in mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're hoping the insurance company is still there when you retire. Exactly. Right. So I, one thing I, one thing for is for sure, I, if I was going to add a tactic, it needs to be something or I want it to be something that has a little bit more of an immediate feedback loop so I can really see if it's doing anything, you know, and, mm-hmm. and by immediate, I mean like maybe, well, I mean the faster, the better, but but not months, you know, waiting for a right. show that's going to, you know, it's like record it and then it's not going to come out for two months. And, you know, it's not, it's, I, I'm going to keep doing that because it's, it's like falling off a log, but, uh, but I want to, I want to augment for the second half of the year with something that's much more instantaneous. Like I could literally go on, you know, like Google ad manager right now and be like, and press an ad in two days, I would know, you know, launch an ad in two days, I would know if it was the right keywords or whatever, I don't, I don't know mm-hmm. anything about that stuff. So um, it would be nice to have something that was a little bit more immediate, had some kind of leading indicator that, that I could track to increase subscribers. Cause that'd be my goal is to have more people on the daily broadcast. Yeah. That is one of the side benefits of ads when they work well, is that you can step on the gas, you can lift up the gas depending on uh, how many leads you're getting and how much, mm-hmm. how many people you can serve. I do right. love that about ads. Mm-hmm. Anything else? So another another thing it would be uh, guest posting, not not podcasting, but posting on other people's blogs or um, uh, or on sort of big 
blogs like I'm trying to th- I'm mm-hmm. trying to think of an example off the top of my head. You know, this the HBR's well, type of things that you Forbes, can get into. Forbes is a Forbes is a basically a blog. Yeah, I mean, that would be an example. Inc. Right. takes mm-hmm. columnists. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. So that would be. Uh, I don't. I've done that in the past, and I really liked it, but. But but we're going back years, like we're talking 2002, 2003, and I was doing it for a, a magazine that was a physical magazine, which was really, is just kind of fun to open up a magazine and be like, you know, have a byline and whatever. And, <laughs> um, and I wasn't, and that was the extent of my writing at the time. So I, I don't know if, I don't know if I would enjoy, because I have always loved writing, but I probably, probably just doing the daily list that that is probably enough to scratch that itch. And I don't know if I would. If somebody was like, uh, we, you know, yeah, you can start, um, like, I'd rather have a column than do a guest posts, you know, because the guest posts, my experience has always been that the editor really gets up in your grill about like, oh, you gotta, you gotta delete 300 words. You gotta get this down to 600 words. I'm like, well, that's just going to be garbage. Right. Or, <laughs> you know, it, I can do that, but it's going to take my voice out of it. Or they like correct your grammar and it doesn't sound like you anymore. So, mm-hmm. but if you had a column and you could, you got a good fit, like if you had a column in, I don't know, Anchor Forbes, like you said, that was, that was periodic, like every month, it would be, you could probably get into, you could find an editor that you worked with well, or you could like get to an equilibrium that was not tedious every single time and get into that routine. That, that would be, I think that would probably be the sweet spot for me personally, would be, you know, having a column in something like that. Yeah. I had some clients that, really liked to guest post. They really didn't want to blog for themselves. And they found an outlet that high prestige um, in their uh, ideal audience. And they they found this particular uh, opportunity when a friend of theirs took a, a key spot. So they got an editor who <laughs> got them, understood what they were trying to do. And, and yeah, they are directive. Absolutely. That's their that's their right and their want as editors of a, of a space. But if you can mm-hmm. find the right fit, sometimes those editors can make you way more powerful than you were because they can make you a better writer. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I, I, as long as I mean, I'm not against taking direction when I agree with it. But I've definitely had and I've had experiences where where my relationship with an editor has been fantastic. But I've also had the opposite yeah. where I'm like, yeah. take my name off that. You know, it's yeah. like embarrassing. So what, here's another one that um, comes up from time to time. But what do you what do you call it when you're like what what is uh, help a reporter out? That's not PR. It's like uh, arrow um, arrow. Yeah, it's like a sort being a source. Well, it's for... it's outreach. I mean, it's doing your own PR basically. If you if you follow up on one of those opportunities, yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's help a reporter out, right? It's some <laughs> although their definition of reporter is rather wide because yeah, there's a lot of people who are anonymous you know, writing a column or something or a piece, but mm-hmm. yeah, but there's some, absolutely, there's, there's a bunch of legitimate opportunities in there. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I put that in the PR bucket. Cool. Well, there's, I, they've got some other things on my list that I'm not planning on doing, but might be helpful to people because I think they're, they can work um, like affiliates. Like if you sell products of some kind or some kind of productized service, then affiliates can be very successful. Um, we mentioned sponsorships. I would, I would consider sponsoring someone's newsletter. I think that's a pretty interesting thing to do. And it's, you know, and it's exactly what you want. Like they're in their email. Mm -hmm. It's exactly what I would want. They're in someone else's email who they trust. They see a sponsored link to my email list or or lead magnet and they click on it and they're like on somebody else's email list now. So like to me, that's like a really, really clear, direct, um, you know, who's doing that now? No. Ramit Sethi is doing that and he, he does it on the podcast, but he started doing it on the emails as well. Which mm. I thought was really interesting. Yeah, that is. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some pretty, but another, th- I mean, the other thing you could do, this would, I don't, this wouldn't spread my message, but in terms of like easy money, air quotes, nothing's easy, easy, but like in terms of my categorization of revenue, um, I just got an email from a, a sort of fellow like-minded colleague who's kind of in our space, but in a different, a, a very different area of expertise. And she's i think she said she's making three thousand dollars a month selling sponsored you know she was she was like oh, I, I never did sponsorships before but then you know somebody was like you know she's only only got like a few thousand people on her list but they're highly targeted and so she, 
she's making like three grand a month adding a couple of links and it's like you know to that's stuff not that, nothing no that's not that's <laughs> that's something uh, but you know not something i'm planning on doing but that's if people listening have a mailing list and for example you know like like an app platform that i use or that's comparable to one that i use reached out to me to sponsor my list and i i just said like oh you know i just i don't do that but you know good best of luck with the the thing and it's a good tool like it's good mm -hmm. like i would stand behind it and then but I, I didn't even explore it. It's just not it, like it would change. Like now I have to send it. Like I send the email every day anyway, but I don't have to. <laughs> it just, yeah. It's kind of well, like. And it's, it's like having a partner, an, an ally maybe is, but you've got, yeah. When you take money, you have a responsibility yeah. to the organization you took the money from. And, you know, you've got to figure out what that looks like for both of you. Um, mm hmm yeah. yeah, so that might be a revenue thing, but in terms of in terms of tactics I'm considering for the balance of the year, it's really about finding new tactics that will give me a, a tighter feedback loop on whether or not it's you know it, it's working and by working I mean increasing awareness and how will I measure that? I'll measure that by the growth numbers on the mailing list. So like that's the right. if I can do anything I can do to increase the flow of people onto the mailing list in a predictable way is would be extremely interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're really clear that everything goes to the list. It's kind of right. like people who have like one sort of primary, maybe productized service and everything goes to that or like a membership, everything goes yeah. to that. I mean, the, the clearer we can be about what that is, the easier it is to make some of these decisions and what's going to work for you. Exactly. Or what's worth yeah. experimenting with anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hopefully this has given folks something to think about. Is there anything on your list that we didn't get to? Mm, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got them all. Cool. All right. Well, folks, well, here's to a better second half of the year than the first half, whatever that means for you. Awesome. All right. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. We hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.